Jones on speed, boldly going where no Gareth Jones on speed has gone before, but more on that later in the programme. Very pleased to say that we are core eight, the full complement of speedsters are here. Zog. Hello. And Richard. Hello. How are you doing, guys? Pretty good. good. Yeah? yeah? Good. Very good. Are you enjoying this new uh, 21st century? Of I've had something about else. 11 years of it now. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a feeling it's bedded in. Okay. I yeah. was shocked to find out that 1991 was 20 years ago yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> really? really? I had a conversation like this with a friend of mine in the pub the other night where she tried to claim that, in fact, the years 2000 to 2009 didn't exist. They couldn't possibly have done because... 1991, for example, wasn't 20 years ago. No, that's right. Because that would mean that we're getting old. Yeah, that would mean that I'm 50 this year, which is impossible. Look at me, I'm the body of a (laughs) 49-year-old. I kind of like the way your friend was thinking, though, I have to say. I think her argument would have found some sympathy. She had had quite a lot of red wine by that point, though. So let's not launch it on this as some kind of scientific endeavour, when in truth it was just... It was alcohol. We're going to talk about the future in some way in this programme today, but I want to talk about the immediate future and a bit of news which broke this week that Kimi Raikkonen is going to NASCAR. Yeah. I tweeted that this makes about as much sense as... It just doesn't make sense. And Kimi in NASCAR. It, what? It just struck me as being a little bit like, from my prejudice perspective against NASCAR and such basic forms of racing, it just seemed like, I don't know, Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci going back to painting and decorating. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, which he did do, didn't he? He had one of those. Well, little, he, did, um, he did ceilings, you know. Yeah, like, uh, one of those little Fiat, Fiorino vans that he used to drive around. Or know. Stravinsky <laughs> joining ACDC. Well, you see, here's the thing: if you're going to use that analogy, ACDC have their merits. I'm not a particular fan, yeah. but I quite admire what they do. Oh, I. Yeah. And I think it requires a skill and a performance in just the same way as, say, being in the London Philharmonic does. And a by the same point. token, I think that NASCAR is more complicated and more mm. potentially more more interesting and more skillful than we would maybe give it credit for when we just assume it's driving round and round in a big oval for the most I part. I love oval racing. I don't watch the IndyCar these days, I'm afraid, but I, I was a habitual watcher of Champ Cars or Kart when they had, what, 30% of their races were on ovals. And they were some of the most exciting races. We've been to an oval race together. We, yeah, yeah. We, we went Dalton. to Rockingham. Sorry, Rockingham yeah. together. And you can watch the game play out very much as in the same way as Formula One. There's a kind of, you've got to be on the same lead lap as everyone else in the last lap to then win the race. You've that, left that sound effects CD on, by the way. Oh, the one yeah, of the police, police chase number <laughs> yeah. three, by yeah. my reckoning. Oh, anyway. The best bit is when the doorbell rings in a few minutes. And oh, it's pizza delivery. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. <laughs> and it's in no way because we've just left the windows open because it's a beautiful evening. Yeah. So NASCAR, yeah. Well, NASCAR, I think there's a lot of skill involved in NASCAR. But it's not just NASCAR. It's not that big, rumbly vaguely road car shaped NASCAR that, that we might think of. This is trucks, NASCAR. isn't it? This trucks, is, which is but not pickup trucks. trucks right? Yes, yeah, pickup trucks. And Raikkonen's signed up with Kyle Busch Racing and they run Toyotas. So this is a big space framey type thing with a silhouette body on the top. Yeah. 
and uh, so it's pickup trucks. How advanced it's... are they under the skin? Because you know, I'll, oh, they're not. I'll, straight up, you know, I know nothing about NASCAR trucks. But what they are, as far as I can work out, is they're extremely simple in principle, and then it's in the detail that people find improvements. So they're still using pushrod V8s, and they're using very, very simple chassis. But then it's all about how the team works with that. I mean, there's an interesting lesson here for Formula One. Maybe Formula One is still too complicated. And when they fiddle about with, oh, let's put grooves in the tyres. No, let's not. Let's simplify that. Let's keep with slicks. Formula One, let's not say get rid well, of carbon fibre and things, but maybe Formula One is too bogged down. I mean, an electrically powered rear wing is okay, like, but, but, it'd be but, like going, oh, there's some slats over the goal at some points in a football game. But leaving the, re- <laughs> le- leaving the adjustable rear wing stuff aside, yeah, I think that is probably a bit of trickery too far and it's a bit of a Mickey Mouse way probably, of uh, tackling this over... over mm, well, you disagree? What? Well, I, I think... Well, the, no, the, before we get into the DRS, yeah. just the point is simply that if you want to allow people to develop the technology of a racing vehicle, as in F1, and you want this to be the top tier or one of the top tiers of motor mm. racing, you can't hobble people too much on a lot of the technical aspects. You have to allow that freedom for people to come up with clever stuff and for it to be more than, I think, in just the tiny detail. I think the whole movable rear wing thing is something we should have perhaps had many years ago, if they get it to work, take a while to bed in, simply because Formula One has a history of taking on board new technologies or any technology it can to allow you to win. You know, carbon fibre, forced induction, ground effect. There's a history of, of real breakthrough things. So the understanding of aerodynamics is fundamental to making a car any car efficient and therefore but quick there's a fundamental difference between those all of those things that you mentioned and the DRS mm. the adjustable rear wing which is that all of those things have potential benefit for a vehicle on the road making it lighter mm-hmm. as you say just making the aerodynamics better but they don't you are never they, going to need an adjustable well, no, 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 carbon fibre, you know, you know co- you, using composite yeah. materials, absolutely. But you're developing technology that enables to make cars lighter and stronger. That's a benefit whether you're on a race yeah, track or whether is, you're on the, the road. I think the carbon fibre we're now seeing in road cars engines. is coming from a dedicated road car development programme, which, yes, actually has been pushed by McLaren now for a road mm-hmm. car, but it's to make it feasible for mass production. Well, the like, F1 technique is irrelevant for road cars no, no, unless but, they're very, very low volume because it's such a okay, handmade, no, labour-intensive... But I'm not, no, I'm not suggesting that a lot of the F1 technology is filtering down directly from F1 cars mm. to road cars. Clearly that doesn't happen. But I am suggesting that they're generally developing technologies and techniques that are useful to the yeah. rest of the... Uh, yeah, for the greater the, good. ...the automotive industry. Sure, and and a, lot of the, you know, the a, lot, a lot of the KERS yeah. technology, for example. There will be some stuff developed there that is going to be useful to hybrid technology on road cars. Movable hmm. aerodynamics are on road cars anyway. I mean, we've got Bentleys, we've got Audis with pop-up rear spoilers... You know, which they've been doing that for years. Exactly. And, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and this movable rear wing thing, it's a fix to make overtaking easier. Now, I'm absolutely prepared to give it a go. And if it works, if it improves the racing, then great. Let's stick with it. You know, that, yes. that's fine. But it is basically a Mickey Mouse fix. It's such a bit an of a inelegant problem. solution to a problem that they haven't really tackled properly for years. And I don't know how they do, except by going completely back to basics, which it brings us back to NASCAR, I guess, because, you know, all the stuff in NASCAR is about, I can't really call it, but when they weight the car, you know, they say that, that if you try to drive it in a straight line on a flat surface, it's constantly trying to turn yeah. left. It has over. toe in on one side and toe out yeah, on the other. Yeah, but they have also they have sort of this... counterweights and things on one side of the car and not on yeah. the other. And that's the thing. Mm. It is actually sort of quite technical and 
there are a number of things you know on those big oval tracks they have spotters all around the track who are talking to the driver so it becomes a very tactical game and it's all about you know the driver being aware of who's around him and who he can get a toe off and who he's competing against so it's more complicated than we think that was i suppose mm. my original point mm. i remember we went for dinner at the british grand prix with the toyota f1 team a few years ago do you remember so that would have been three years ago was it? was it three years ago yeah glock and Charlie what did you order because they went bust shortly after that didn't <laughs> <they>? <laughs> yes well, i'll have the peacock hell meal. followed by the panda steak please <laughs> and then some whale <laughs> That is actually what I had. <laughs> Again, the last time I had it was when Arrows took me to dinner. Oh, I no, kiss of death. Yeah. Do you remember that time I, when I you... I think I had the unicorn steak, actually. That was, uh... <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a bit sweet. You went for dinner and Leighton House offered to pay, and then what happened? <laughs> you? But anyway, the, death. the point was that, that we were that. having dinner with these wonderful people from F1, and the manager of the Toyota F1 team, whose name escapes me at this moment, said that he'd just come back from... Was it Charlottesville in the States uh, where he'd watched a NASCAR race Toyota were represented? It could be Charlotte. Charlotte, Charlotte in, I, in North Carolina or something? Quite possibly. Carolina, somewhere in the colonies. Yeah. You know, where, where <laughs> you go there. sometimes. Yes. And he said he had hair standing up on his arms at the start of the race. They put on yeah. a great show and you know it's going to be real racing and that he thought that Formula One was doomed because it didn't offer that kind of spectacle. And, you know, what do you know, three months later, um, Toyota <laughs> was pull out of, uh, of F1. Yeah. It's funny, but everyone I know who's ever been to a NASCAR race, you know, hardcore Formula One fans particularly, always come back and go, wow, that was amazing. Mm. And I, I, annoyingly, I've had the chance twice when I've been in the States to go to a NASCAR race and then not been able to go. Uh, mm. And I'm desperate to go just to see what this just is all see, about. Yeah, so well, I'm not ruling it out because to, I, I am I fascinated by it. But Kimmy is in trucks. Just very quickly, because we don't really know much about this, do we? But I'll no, tell you we two things. Not. First of all, there's loads of NASCAR series. There's a sort of big top flight one, but then there's also smaller formulas below it. And this is, yeah. includes these pickup trucks. They all have the names of the series, are depending on who the lead sponsor is. So Kimmy is competing in the Cam. Camping World Truck Series. Camping <laughs> World. It, but series. it gets better, my friends. Oh, my God. What's this? Well, just before we started recording this, I had yeah. a little look at what's going on here. So he's done his first test this week with the Carl Bush team that he signed to. Uh, he's going to do selected races. Bloody, bloody, blah. The first one will be Charlotte Motor Speedway on May the 20th, right? And on Wednesday, it was announced that... <laughs> what? <laughs> Kimmy's sponsor... In NASCAR, his lead sponsor will be Perky Jerky. (laughs) (laughs) Which is weird, because I thought he'd be sponsored by Wall's Ice Cream, but there you go. (laughs) Perky Jerky, everyone. Perky Jerky, the choice of Kimi Raikkonen. Welcome to NASCAR, and boy, have I got some sponsorship opportunities for you. So, we got the perky jerky on board, that's okay, but that is just the start. Uh, yeah, uh, awesome, Kimmy, awesome. So, uh, firstly, we have Wacko Tobacco, the only chewing tobacco that makes your mouth taste like the late Michael Jackson, the king of pop. Okay, yeah, we also got Scotch Watch, the only timepiece that also dispenses real Scottish whiskey. What time is it? It's time you got an alcohol dependence, my friend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> right, yeah. Uh, next, we have Holy Cola, the only soda drink that increases your chances of becoming the Holy Father himself, the Pope of Rome. And if that ain't enough for you, Kimmy, baby, I just sealed the deal with Holy Guacamole. It's the only chip dip that contains a vision of Lord Jesus Christ himself in every jar. Okay, I'm just going to keep on going on. You're a great guy, and you're excited. But wait, Kimmy, baby, wait. I saved the best until last. Crack Snack, the only chocolate-coated potato chip that contains crystallized cocaine for the high that goes straight to your thighs. What do you think, Kimmy, baby? Do you want to do this, do you? I'm going to take that as a yes. I say, I say, I say, what's better than F1? Two F1s. That would be F2, which isn't better than F1. No. Richard, any guesses? F1 squared. Um, that would be pretty good. Yeah, that's more than F1. Oh no, it isn't. Well, unless you food, well, like some kind of monkey-controlled spacecraft that I could go around solving oh, mysteries in. That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, Kissing Violet Berlin's better than F1. A time machine well, that looks like a blue police box. Imagine. Such a thing. It's Could TV's be. Violet Berlin. Uh, he had hello. to say that. I'd walked into the room. <laughs> I will now leave the room. I, and you can... <laughs> I didn't know she was there. <laughs> and what would be worse is if you left the room and then Zog and I both said that as well. And then again, oh, that would be yeah. trouble. That would be yeah. extremely split the band that would. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what, what is better than F1? Do you know reckon it's better than F1? Go, Go on. on. E1. So you're referring to the electric... F1 idea. Or, well, there have been some news stories that refer to electric F1, but it's not actually electric it, yes, F1. I think it's got a bit it, carried it's, away. It's an, exactly, because the story seems to be that Jean Tot and the FIA are talking to the EU about setting up an electric racing series, yeah. a, an open wheel series that would be run at Grand Prix and other circuits. Yeah. And, uh, so they've got in ex BMW board member Gerhard mm-hmm. I can't yeah. pronounce his name properly. I, it, it, no, it is Anyway, who's, uh, I think, got a fairly good track record of things. And, uh, yeah, it's basically, it's a working committee at the moment, isn't it? So I imagine they have uh, a think, room yeah. with a big long table in it and lots of biscuits and those jugs yeah, of water. Of meetings. Or perhaps, if it's quite posh, bottles of water. And when you arrive, they've got a little cluster of glasses upside down around the base of the bottle. It's okay. that kind of thing. But they are saying that by 2013, ideally, they would like to get some kind of electric race series going that may lead to a Formula One-style electric championship of some sort yeah although quite what anybody meant confirmed. by formula one style who knows know. does that just mean does that just, mean, does that just mean open just, wheel does that just mean yeah anyway but. that idea the only reason i think e1 is better than f1 is that it uses up fewer letters and therefore it's a zen thing because it replaces an object but uses up less resources so it's quantifiably well, better it's no zen but thing. it doesn't it, because actually technically if you were writing it with Anne Byro, you would use more ink oh that's the truth so it's, it's a, a little more profligate mind. than uh, F1 which mm. uh, could only be more economical if it was called I1 yeah Good or point. just I. Oh. But yeah. do we like the or just, just a dot? dot. <laughs> 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 anyway. What are you doing at the weekend? Well, there's a dot race on. <laughs> so, E1, yeah. let's imagine E1, right? Where you've got probably five teams who've managed to put together vehicles to some kind of spec that is broad enough to allow people to compete. It'll have to be a mix of two things a sort of a bunch of stock parts that can get you going so anyone can have a go. And also a rule that says, and 
pretty much do what you want with it to make it fantastic. Well, does it? I mean, I could see this could work as being a very open formula, and mm-hmm. in a way that would be probably the best way of using it to drive technology forward, if that's part of the drive idea. Drive technology! Uh, or, you know, or a stock formula based on a chassis and engine and Electric a cat drive train from a particular <laughs> supplier. You know, that's e- the talk either of those a communist there, yeah. so... <laughs> Out of town. Um, I I think it is the stated position of Gareth Jones on speed, isn't it? That we all think that Formula One might be more interesting if it was sort of open yeah. season on engines. Formula Do what you want. If you want a Vancal rotary yeah. engine, yeah. go nuts. If yeah. you if you want a V12, have it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if that did happen, well, what if there was one team that, that said, all right, we're going to do an electric car. We've got some new battery technology. And then I think, going back to what we were talking about earlier on, now that is something you really could see benefiting road cars in a very immediate way because battery technology is where electric road cars need the most help at the moment and mm-hmm. are sort of progressing quite rapidly. But the white heat of the cauldron of motorsport... Motorsport? Motorsport! Swedish motorsport. is something that could really... Yeah, I mean, you know, a pace. you know, electric motors, you know, already clearly massively better than internal combustion engines, to put it crudely. Well, so simple, so um, few parts. And, yeah, and, and so much power for the weight. So and grunts, so, yeah. Instant so, grunts. So yeah. much yeah. talk. Yeah. Imagine of, that, an electric F1 car off the line would be an thing to behold. Mm. They would but, have to find as you a say, harder but, road but, You know, battery technology, yeah. you know, batteries compared to fuel tanks mm. don't look very good in terms of energy density how much energy yeah. you can pack into them and they take a bit longer to fill up yes. so those those are the <laughs> two things fuel. you need to fix he's still there <laughs> he's still there and the uh, the winning drivers is onto the podium uh, let's just go back and see how the i don't know electro red bull is doing <laughs> team manager phil oakey still <laughs> looking crestfallen there together in electric oh he's tripped so. over. Oh, <laughs> nice one thing that does slightly concern me is how they would sound because mm-hmm. one of the few downsides of an electric drivetrain you know at least in a racing context is you don't have that lovely internal combustion engine sound ah, well now i was going to move this on later but since you bring that up i've just been driving that nissan leaf that electric car does it make a sound well here's the thing at low oh. speed it emits an artificial sound outside so warn pedestrians that you're coming i hate this idea. Is, yeah it's irritating what is it you can turn it off a hum okay. Sort of, yes. Right. Do you know, um, mm-hmm. one of the things about that car is that in many ways it seems to have been, yes, <laughs> tuneless whistling. They just mm-hmm. sampled a window cleaner. Right, <laughs> <laughs> love. But then you kind of be looking overhead rather than looking yeah. Yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. Hit. No, One of the things about the Leaf is, in many ways, it seems like they've very studiously tried to make it feel as normal as possible. It's just a five-door hatchback of about the size of a Golf or a Focus. But there are a couple of things about it that seem so brilliantly Japanese that you just hope that they never get rid of them what like and well one of them is the noise it makes when it starts up which i can't even describe it it's one of those uniquely odd sort of digital noises that, <laughs> that you'd think yeah. you'd see on tv playing an advert for soup in tokyo oh. but you wouldn't have a clue what was going on it's, it's amazing it's just, sort of, it's just like it's pure japan condensed electronic into noise yeah, electronic of some noise. kind but an electronic noise that, that i just don't think anyone in europe or anywhere in the west would be capable of coming up with it's brilliant <laughs> i wish i'd recorded it but the other thing is the noise it makes when it drives along at low speed which is just this irritating sort of hum that, that ascends with speed you can turn it off, though. You can, there's a switch. Yeah. I feel quite strongly about this aspect of electric cars making noise on the road. I know everybody is adding electronic yeah. sound generators to the cars so they make noise so you can hear them more easily. Yeah. I hate this idea, and I just wish that 
Instead, they would come up with clever ways of using the airflow around the car mm. to make noise. We've talked about this before, yeah, haven't we? Yeah. We have, yeah. yeah. I, just, I, I just, you know, it, it just seems so much more interesting and sensible and it would be more reliable. Well, yeah, because yeah, the thing is, contrived, isn't it, these little electronic sound generators, and there's a potential that different car makers haven't all been to the same meeting, and they've got different noises, and you get this awful atonal racket on our high cacophony of different sort of, you know, something's... Yeah, it's got, oh, God, somebody's why the hell did Audi decide that B-flat was a good sound for <laughs> <Yeah>. their low-speed <laughs> warning? My point, actually, about noise is that at higher speeds, the leaf doesn't make an artificial noise. They deem it unnecessary because you've got pedestrians yeah tire noise in a petrol engine car these days is the biggest sound Mm. yeah and in the cabin as you accelerate at higher speed what you get is this funny almost like jet engine like whistle it's faint but it's there and it's one of the things that gives the car a surprising amount of personality Uh because you get this sort of and it's actually quite cool is that sort of transmission noise or i think it? it might be the actual motor but it's not like a vacuum cleaner noise or something. Presumably the motor is like turning a turbine. It's moving air. Many, many tens of thousands of RPMs. But, but yeah, it's just a. Maybe it is transmission. I mean, it's not, it hasn't got a transmission in the sense of gears because mm, it no. doesn't need them. It's mm. a single speed. It, it only needs drive shafts essentially. To What's transmit. the range? A hundred mm. miles, they say. Now I'm glad you asked me that, Gareth, because I can't remember. I think it's a hundred miles. It's a little bit more than that, but I mean, obviously that's the claimed range. Yeah. And then yeah. one of the things it does, which is very interesting, is if you push a button on the sat nav, it shows you a map of the whole of Britain, with where you are at the centre of a different coloured circle which then delineates your potential range, where you can get to. And it immediately threw up one of the problems, which, of course, we know about electric cars, is this range issue. Range anxiety. And Yeah, range anxiety, because we were in Milton Keynes and the shading stops just south of where my dad lives. So I was thinking, well, if I wanted right now to go and see my dad in just south of Manchester, I couldn't in Mm. the way that I could in my car. However, there are ways in which they're trying to mitigate this, and one of them is that initially it'll be something like 26 Nissan dealers will be able to sell this car. Each one of them will have a fast charger, and you'll be able to pull in there. It'll do you 80% charge in about 30, 40 minutes, and they'll That's charge really cool. it up for free. And they say by 2013, when they start building this car up in Washington, yeah. in Sunderland, every Nissan garage will be able to sell the car and will have a fast charger. That's the plan. There's quite a lot of infrastructure being put up in the northeast. Do you yeah. remember when we went to the uh, Royal Society of Engineers yeah. or Engineering? I can't remember which one it was. They were talking about this project that's just been set in place there, not only because the car was to be built not that far away, but because of the way that cars are used in that part of the world. It's a really good model for how people use cars in Britain. It's a yeah. fairly accurate model. You know. How did you find living with it? You had it for a week? No, no, I didn't. I just drove it for a few hours. Mm. and Didn't really I just, get a sort of... No, I mean, that's the thing. It feels what, like, what it's like to live a five-door hatchback. I wish it looked more radical, or they just called it quits and just looked like a normal car. It's almost like they've bottled out. Yeah, of made, I... It's just not very attractive as a result. Yeah. Mm. Well, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, it's bland. It's a bit of round, yeah, anodyne sort great. of front, and it's a bit sort of goldfish. doesn't have much character. But today I was looking at the Nissan website, and I was looking at that car in the context of all the other cars that Nissan are making at the mm. moment. And you look at it, and it fits somewhere in terms of styling in between the Duke 
and the Micro, which both have these quite high headlamps way up on the yeah. top of the bonnet, mm. which ah. is a weird thing. Well, here's the thing. I think we find cars like this interesting because they obviously have some potential. I was thinking about what I do with my car a lot, which is I just drive across London in it, yeah. and I'll do a 16-mile round trip yeah. to the BBC and back. And Well, you could do that in an electric car. You wouldn't have range anxiety there. And what you've got is a fairly comfortable, normal car. I mean, it, it, almost its normality is a bit of a, a disappointment. Well, this yeah, is what well, we no, said I, about I, the Tesla I, I, as well. It was just a car, tr- wasn't it? When we drove yeah. the Tesla, we just, it's just a great car. But, and, I mean, it, and, and, and it's absolutely true that the, 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 a lot of the fuss that people make about the range of electric cars, it, you know, it's, it, it's not relevant to a lot of people's everyday use yeah, of the car. Yeah. No, there's all these stats. I mean, they're saying that people in Britain, the average journey is of a matter of like eight miles or something. Mm-hmm. I've got this written down here and now I can't find it. Anyway. Although, although if one in ten of your journeys is a 200 mile well, That's the thing, journey, it's always the potential that you could just go. Someone yeah, goes, oh my God, idea. you know, your great aunt is on her deathbed. Quick, get up to Aberdeen. Mm. You could in a normal car. And I'll just tell you two things that are interesting about you. saying about the high headlights. Now, there's a reason why the headlights are not only high, but why they're shaped the way they are. They're part of a careful aerodynamic package that directs wind past the door mirrors because when you take away engine noise, particularly at medium speeds, suddenly you're acutely aware of other things, Uh like wind noise. So Mm. they've had to try and minimise wind noise. So it is a very quiet car, which is interesting, and the tyres are the noisiest part of it by a mile. But the other thing, this is brilliant, Nissan have a generic wiper motor that they use in all their cars, but when they fitted it to the Leaf prototypes, they found it was too noisy. You, you were so aware of this. <laughs> like, like an 1960s mm. Land Rover. Because everything else was quiet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they've had to develop a special wiper motor for it. And that, it is. The, the quietness and the fact that actually it just has this limitless, or feels like limitless torque from zero, yeah. it just pulls. And it's actually mm. sort of deceptively quick. So in that way, it is actually quite amusing to drive. But I sort of wish they'd gone a bit all out on making it a bit... More, not not amusing to drive per se because most people don't care about that but just make it a bit more radical because early adopters are going to be the people who buy this one I mm. spoke to Nigel my sort of adoptive brother foster brother who's lives in San Francisco now and he asked me Nissan Leaf or Chevy Volt what should I get and I said no competition if your commute is less than 50 miles go for the electric car. There will be benefits in terms of tax and parking and economy in the States. If you do that, you don't need that range extender ability. You're always going to have a second car. So the logic of that car, even though I think it looks bland to me, I think it will probably sell well. It's expensive though, isn't it? Was it 20... Uh, well, it's five grand. I mean, there is a logic to making yeah. the car look, you know, ordinary and yeah. not particularly radical well, because you want to... Yeah, deliberately I, done I, that. I think... Um, yeah, it's basically 26 grand with a five grand government grant. It'll get cheaper by the time we start making it in Britain in two years' time. They want to get the price down to about 17 grand, so it costs as much as, as yeah. a hatchback of that sort. I've just looked it up. 109 miles is the official government. There range. you go. So, there you yeah, go. it's yeah, not yeah. amazing. But they say that 95% of all journeys in the UK are less than 25 miles. So, ah, no, go yeah, figure. It's over But again, if Great Aunt Gladys is ill in Aberdeen, get the train. You're all going to have to like me now, Ben. We like you anyway. Give me the one, because I've got pizza. Yeah. Eagle-eared of you will have heard the doorbell go, and the pizza arrived during that. So we're going to eat, and we'll be back with something we've not really ever talked about before on this programme. Ladies and gentlemen, with details of the FIA's new electric race car series, please welcome on stage Monsieur jean Hello, I'm delighted to be able to reveal exclusively to you one of the cars that will be taking part in our new electric racing car series. It is here under this uh, anchor sheaf. Voila! 
Oh, that's just a scale model. Where's the real thing? No, this is it. Uh, this is uh, one of the cars you will see in the FIA's 2013 Scale Electric Series. What? And now please welcome one of the drivers for the series. This is Jamie. Hello. He is seven. This is rubbish. I said to you all what I recently said to Bernie. Sod off. I said at the top of the show that we would be boldly going where this programme hasn't gone before. Gareth Jones on Speed is usually about cars. Right, it's usually about Apple technology and occasionally about electro music of the 1980s as well. But we mostly talk about cars. But for a very good reason, I want to spend the next few minutes on this programme not talking about cars, but talking about space. Because April the 12th, 1961, 50 years ago to the day, if you're listening to this show on April the 12th, was the dawn of manned space flight. Yuri Gagarin made the first manned flight into orbit. It was there for an hour and a half, but it was a breakthrough moment. As someone who was born in 1961, I'm the same age as the space age, unless you count people who were born in 57 when Sputnik went up. But I am so motivated to talk about this great anniversary that I want to have a few minutes talking about space on this programme because I believe that the people who listen to this programme would be interested in space. Richard, you're interested in space. You don't follow it religiously, but you're a fan. You like shuttle stuff, don't you? I'm interested in space, yes. I find it quite mind-boggling that it's 50 years because we're not doing it so much anymore. Yeah, and, 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 and there is a you know, thing, the, 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 and yet we have, I presume, much greater computing power, apart from anything else, to be able to work out this stuff. And the physics involved in space, and I know this because of being friends with you two, because you do know this stuff, it is incomprehensible how difficult it is to yeah. make something leave the Earth. I mean, well, a yeah, plane can sort of go into the sky, but we're talking about beyond the sky in simple terms, aren't we? We're talking about leaving the exactly, Earth's yeah. gravitational pull, which is uh, incredible. Sorry, but now I'm just whimsying about getting out of the, the atmosphere. Is, yeah, it's, it's hugely more difficult than making a plane fly. Well, Fifty and, years but, ago, we got a man into space. But mm. the, the even more incredible thing—it's thing it's hard to the, comprehend that. The really, the really incredible thing, though, in a way, is how quickly we did it after man first flew. If you yeah. think about when the Wright brothers made their first flight, which was what? 1903, was it? About 50 years after that happened, we got a man into space. Well, we didn't, most people that? didn't have and a telephone in their house yeah. and we didn't have colour television. The notion that you could carry with you a tiny little box that would play music into your ears mm. and enable you to speak to someone else directly at the mm. push of a button or two would have been the stuff of witchcraft. And yes, we enabled a man to leave the Earth's atmosphere and orbit around it. And here's the nice thing. You say we, right? Yuri Gagarin was... Speaking on behalf of mankind. Well, yeah, Yeah. exactly. So that's that's the beauty of of space travel. Yuri Gagarin, the greatest moment in the history of the Soviet Empire, the greatest hero of the Soviet Empire. He did more good for the Soviet Empire and ultimately prevented the Third World War because the space race, the, the moon race, was the Third World War fought between the two superpowers of the Soviet Union and the United States of America, but fought in outer space. Rather than firing rockets at each other to destroy each other in mutually assured destruction, they decided to play, right lads, c*****. <laughs> 
put on the table and you know, my, my lifters are bigger than yours. It forced Kennedy, because America was so behind, because Russia had had the first dog in space, the first mice in space, the first satellite, the first manned space flight. America had to set the goals much higher, the moon, in order to play a catch-up. In terms of manned space flight, yes, absolutely. Although there is an interesting aspect to the early space race that doesn't get quite so much attention, understandably, which is that the Americans weren't quite so fussed about losing some of the manned rounds, if you like, because they were doing so much better at putting spy satellites into uh-huh. orbit, which they were doing much more quietly than the manned space Sorry, effort. That's the thing, you know, we're talking about the 50th anniversary of manned space flight, and as you say, both Gagarin's flight and the American moonshot, we all believe this, I think, that these things really unite people. They really kind of make you proud for mankind, and it's a great achievement for all mankind. It doesn't exactly matter whether that. it's a Russian guy or an American guy or an American girl or whoever it is. These are extraordinary things that make everybody feel like you're a small person on a small planet and you're part of this enormous universe. Mm. Spaceflight satisfies me at that level. The, you know, the heroic Star Trekian uh, leaving the planet is at least a continental objective. We have a, an urge to explore yeah. and we have an urge to understand our universe. But it also satisfies me in the same way that Formula One satisfied me, not just as a technophile. I love the technology of the moon, how we achieved that moon landing. You know, so much of the culture that came from NASA is in our lives now, not just the technology, but the culture of modular systems and backups and how you put together a big project. NASA sort of spearheaded that kind of thing. But it also satisfies me, like I was saying, like Formula One, if you watch a launch, I've never seen a live manned launch in the flesh. I've seen an Atlas put a satellite up from Canaveral, and, and that, I had tears in my eyes as this thing tore across the sky. It was wonderful. But because of Twitter these days, Twitter's the best thing that ever happened to the space age, I get live tweets, updates throughout the day, as from, from the NASA happen- tweet-up. From, they from have the these, yeah. Yeah, they have these NASA tweet-ups. So they, I'm yeah. aware whenever a rocket goes up. This launches on a daily basis. So coming back to what you said, Richard, that we don't do it so much anymore. Yes, we are still putting up stuff ever more greater frequency than we did back in the 60s. But it's all commercial at the moment. You know, they're putting satellites up. Communication satellites yeah. and yeah. GPS satellites. There's a thing you can find and... online, actually, which shows you using, I think, the fully zoomed-out Google Earth. All the satellites that are up there. It's yeah. something like 14,000. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the things yeah. about getting yeah. a uh, manned yeah. spacecraft up there now is that it must be like driving through the rush hour in <laughs> downtown <laughs> Manhattan. Well, <laughs> during the, How do they not bang into things? It, it, they, do. Listen, they, they, they do. They do. I thought they even do a flake of things. paint could hold a shuttle windscreen. In the last week, they did a little manoeuvre with the International Space Station to move to it, it out of the way of debris that they knew was heading its oh way God. from a collision that had taken place between two satellites a couple of years before. Oh. Very small things, even screw a fleck of paint can mm. cause damage. But they did some tests on, I believe, the debris that had adhered to mere solar panels. Basically, after a certain time in orbit, the solar panels weren't working as effectively. They'd picked up a lot of crud, a lot of dirt, which was making less efficient, less lights getting onto the panels turned out that most of the crud on the solar panels was human excrement. It was what? it was the same literally crap that they that had been jettisoned from Mir 
during its time in orbit. Because if you think what? about it, you know, you, you it's in the same orbit. You, it's going to stay. No, yeah, it's you know when so, you when you chuck sorry. when you chuck it out of so mirror, it stays in orbit by a, a sort of a ring, a, a halo of astronaut poo. <laughs> yes, but it's okay because any of it that's returned to Earth is going to burn up quite safely. Nothing yeah, to I'm not really there. worried about that. But I, if mean, you're I, all... I do feel slightly guilty because when I was a kid, I seem to remember once uh, firing a bottle rocket, and we it went really high, and we never saw where it came down. I'm a bit concerned <laughs> it may be banging into the International Space Station as we speak because you know it well, was a really. But here's the thing about space. Space is, as they say, space is big. Yes, you might think that going down to the shops is a long way. That's nothing to space. Space is big. I think it was a long way to Italy if I had to walk. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been outside of London? I I know that you have. But, you know, if you meet people who live just on the outside of the M25, there's huge volumes of space there. Because it radiates, because of the maths of it, there's a lot more space out there than there is in the central London. So a lot of space. And space is the same as well. I know we've got a lot of stuff sharing more or less the same orbit, but that's a huge amount of space up there. The and on the plus side, none of it has redding in it, think. so that's yeah. much nicer than the space around London. But the problem is that all of that extra space out there, it isn't anything like as much use as the space that's already crowded with debris, with dead satellites, with the remains of satellites that have bumped into each other, flecks of paint, discarded gloves, tools, astronauts. But, you know, because basically the useful orbital locations are, you know, low Earth orbit, there's a lot of crap floating around there, and geostationary orbit. Mm. And, you know, there's only so much space in the geostationary orbital slots. But is, it, is, sure. it, is, it, is it possible, therefore, that uh, if aliens yeah, attempted to land on Earth, which, um, of course, we know could happen, because I've seen films about it, <laughs> um, that actually we've inadvertently protected our planet by surrounding it with this miasma of crap. We've got to get through it. No chance at all. I think it's a pretty safe bet that if they can make it from Alpha Centauri well, to here... Go, all right, we'll just, can, we'll just yeah, dodge around that old B-Sky B satellite and we'll It would be like you sort of pulling up to a result. It would be like you were pulling up to a parking spot and sort of seeing sorry somebody put a little, little kind of cone in the way. You go, well, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll just move the cone out of the way and I'll just park there anyway. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay, we're talking about what they call is it level two civilizations who are able to harness enough power to leave uh, their own solar system, right? Uh, yeah, there, there, yeah. No, there, there's, oh, there no. is this sort of well, let's, let's no, introduce the ones our that own. are really dangerous are the level 42 <laughs> civilizations because they land on your earth and they play slap bass <laughs> until you just want to kill yourself. So, oh, I knew that was coming. <laughs> you, you saw it coming from the other side from of the galaxy. <laughs> so if they've got the technology to do interstellar stuff, then they'll get through our crap layer around Earth. I think they? so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to say a couple of things before we wrap this, because we talked far too long on this programme about all sorts of death stuff. No change there. I'm thrilled to bits that it's the 50th anniversary. Congratulations to the Soviets. Well done, everyone who's done it. And, and in the meantime, everyone, yeah. Please mark it by watching a movie called First Orbit that's just been made by Chris Riley, who I know vaguely, and it's worth seeing. It's using footage oh, shot re- from the ISS. I reading about the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they had to tell the astronauts on the ISS exactly when to film. What time of the day. So that they got the, the bas- same view. They basically recreated Gagarin. Gagarin's yeah. view, and they uh-huh. used his original voice recordings of his communications with Earth and with the translation. It's really wonderful. It's re- really, really wonderful. And on sorts of uh, films, I think The Right Stuff, best space movie ever. Fantastic no, For All film. Mankind is the best space movie ever, but that's a whole other okay, conversation. Okay, okay. Best, okay, For All Mankind, best non-fiction. Yes, uh, shot entirely on location, yep. in outer space. Uh, <laughs> just two words for you, gentlemen, or maybe it's one, I don't know. Spaceballs. 
Oh dear, Peter the Hutt. Oh dear. Best space comedy. Okay, we'll get this. Comedy? <laughs> it's a documentary, isn't it? <laughs> Hmm. And the other thing is, look, do me a favour, I don't usually plug other websites, so go to spaceflightnow.com, follow their Twitter feed, and you can watch a live space launch, because a live launch, and I've seen loads recently, is like the start of an F1 race. You hold your breath. I've seen guys being sent up from Baikonur recently, live. I've never seen a Russian launch live before. Baikonur. They launched from Baikonur. But not Baikonur. <laughs> Baikonur. Um, also, sorry, I don't know much about space, but yeah. I just remembered something that if you're on Twitter, there's a chap who's on the ISS at the moment. Yes, Astro... And he occasionally tweets. I can't think what's his address, I can't um, remember. Uh, you look it up. His but... address, for ISS, yes, somewhere yes. in orbit. One space. Yeah, I'm following him, so follow me. Uh, yeah, and he, he just occasionally, he just posts up pictures of parts of the Earth yeah, from yeah, space. Yeah. And you can't say fairer than that for now, every so often on your internet. That's quite good, isn't it? Yeah. Quite right, too. Richard, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Uh, Zonk, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. You've been listening to Gareth Jones on space, I suppose it was. If we were talking about stuff you didn't really care about, it didn't last that long, did it? But we might have to do this again soon with your permission. Say goodbye, fellas. Bye bye. Goodbye. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, or follow us on Twitter, go to GarethJones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed!